Welcome to Witch City Witches, a podcast from Salem, Massachusetts, exploring the practice of witchcraft. I'm Anna. And I'm Becca. And today we have good friend of the podcast, author and local witch, Lauren Devora. Hi, thanks for having me. We are glad to have you back. Yeah, Lauren was here for episode two, and now we are here for episode 15. So it's very exciting. Am I your first repeat guest? Yes. Yes. (gasps) I'm so honored. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're awesome. So first, I think, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. (laughs) This is a very weird Halloween, like just in general, but it's going to be, we're going to make the the best of it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So it's it's definitely interesting because, you know, today is, you know, the day that this episode airs is going to be Samhain, October 31st. And it's a full moon, and we have daylight savings ending today. So it was expected to be a very, very intense day in Salem, the witch city. And as of the airing of this podcast, we have no idea what's coming up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the tourists have already been so much more than any of us were expecting this year that... Um, yeah who knows what will happen maybe they'll the city will force everyone to close just to keep people away i don't but you know what people won't actually realize that everything is closed and they'll just like wander around like zombie banging on doors so i mean isn't that kind of what happened last weekend (laughs) oh yeah people come bang on my door all the time at the shop and i'm like no you can't come in Uh, We just wanted to remind everyone that our friend Erica Feldman at Housewitch is having a community spell tonight, an All Hallows' Eve spell for radical realignment to get lots of witches tuning in tonight for some radical change at the election. So if you haven't gone to the Housewitch website yet, go ahead and do that at housewitchstore.com and check out their spell. She's really looking forward to having a lot of um, individual voices adding to the energy to that, to, you know, full moon. Samhain changing the election, which is in three days from when this episode airs. So um, I'm hoping everyone has either already voted early or has a plan to uh, to vote on Tuesday. So, yes, excellent. Well, so in today's episode, we want to talk about Halloween traditions and Samhain traditions and talking to the dead, and that's why we invited. Uh, Lauren back because you know she is our resident dead people expert. (laughs) I should put that on my business cards. (laughs) Dead people expert. (laughs) I love it. I'll make you a t-shirt. Oh my god yes. I would say 90% of my t-shirts already have like ghosts or one of my favorites actually says future ghost. (laughs) (laughs) So it would just fit right in. Well, I guess, Lauren, let's start with you. Do you, in your tradition, call it Halloween or Samhain or something else? And what does that day mean to you? I tend to use both. Um, Halloween, for me, feels a little bit more secular, like Becca was talking about. And I think that represents more of the, like, of this world element, Um, like the costumes and the parties and the candy and, like, going out and getting drunk and all of that. Like, that's Halloween. But for me, Samhain is a much more deeply spiritual day. Um, And for me, because I follow mostly a a Celtic pantheon, um, it starts, it's a little like Jewish traditions. It starts at sundown the day before and continues. Um, So 
depending on how you view that, it can either start the 30th or it can start at sundown the 31st and continue until sundown of the 1st, which is what I do. So sundown of the 31st is when I'm like, all right, down time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for me, it is, it's also the Celtic New Year. Um, so it's about retreating inward and kind of going, okay, fresh start. So how a lot of people treat New Year's Day is how I treat Samhain and, and November 1st. But yeah, I like to make a, a big meal for myself and well, because of pandemic, it's probably just going to be me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> normally I would also invite some people over to enjoy some food. And yeah, it's like a really deeply meditative um, practice. I light a bunch of candles. I have an ancestor altar. So I leave food and offerings there, light a bunch of candles in a lot of belief uh, or in a lot of different beliefs, I should say. It's one of the days that the veil is thinnest. So we believe that our beloved dead can cross over and can be with us. So for me, I kind of, because I can feel and sense and speak to so many spirits, um, it has like a bit of a, like a happy Thanksgiving vibe, (laughs) which I know probably is a little weird, but like my house gets so full, like it will feel like I'm having a Thanksgiving dinner and it'll just be me corporeal in the house, but it will feel like there's 20 or 30 people inside my house and it's actually like really lovely um so I kind of like to soak up that energy because most of the time it's like loved ones that are like oh hey haven't seen you in a while (laughs) so it's kind of that nice energy um but yeah I tend my ancestor altar and um I set I don't want to say set intentions it's more of like setting goals and setting and kind of reflecting on the year before and kind of going okay here's what happened and here's maybe what I don't want to happen. And it's also the the final harvest. So it's when you're really looking at stripping everything down and going, okay, what do we need to survive winter? Yeah. Even though, you know, we have uh, different paths, a lot of what you're saying about Samhain speaks to my practice as well. You know, for me, it's also uh, the new year because I also follow, you know, a, a, tel- a Celtic wheel of the year. And, um, you know, it is very much about, making space to connect with those who have passed. And for me, it's going to be interesting because, you know, my dad passed away this summer. So it's going to be my first Samhain with my dad on the other side. And one of the traditions that I observe is what we call the dumb supper, where you have supper in silence and you set plates for the dead to, you know, invite them to dinner. Uh, So I don't know if you do that as well in your dinners. Um, I don't necessarily do a dumb supper, um, but I, I know people who do, and I have a lot of friends who do. I tend to make up a plate and I leave it as an offering and it's kind of dumb at the same time, but I don't keep silence. Um, it's reflective and it's not necessarily like a raucous good time, but it's still, uh, I probably have music playing or something. Um, I don't, I don't have it in silence. Yeah. It's talent's interesting, you know, because I come from a, a more traditional lineage and there's sort of a division between what is, I guess, public knowledge for lack of better word, and private knowledge. And in my tradition, you know, every, every Sabbath, uh, every moon has a component of ritual and knowledge that isn't available to everyone that's available to initiates. And Samhain is definitely the one that has the most. And it's very interesting for me because, you know, we live in Salem 
And so you were talking about that difference between Halloween and Samhain. And I agree that I see Halloween as the more secular part of it and Samhain is the more religious part. And I, I wonder how many witches kind of grapple with that because we live in the witch city, but it's also, you know, sort of Halloween capital, but it's Halloween capital in a very, very secular way, right? It's just mobs of people all dressed in costume, all wanting to do the, you know, party and trick or treat and dress up and, you know, I still love that part of it. Oh yeah, totally. No, I think also, um, you know, when I have done things on Halloween with local witch friends, those local witch friends usually own stores in town or they work in stores in town and they're just, Halloween night is just like, thank God the tourists will be gone tomorrow. Um, and like, and it's like, it's very, I think, um, we were talking before we started recording, but you know, I don't come from a Celtic tradition. I'm not Wiccan. I don't follow the wheel of the year. I do see Halloween more as a secular activity for me, although I have definitely participated in more religious Samhain events with friends when I'm invited. But, um, for me personally, I don't have a lot of religious, um, you know, traditions for the holiday. So, but I think that a lot of people in town have a hard time finding the energy to do that, even if they do come from one of those paths that there should be traditions to be done on Halloween or on Samhain. And they're just so exhausted from working in the, the Halloween industry that, you know, they have a bonfire and, you know, and you know, burn things that remind them of bad experiences. Um, and like, that's it. <laughs> like, that's, that's as yeah. far as it goes. I mean, I kind of, I can't blame people though for having low energy on important days. And like, I've definitely had several holidays, especially this year, like several important Sabbaths have come through and I'm like, okay, I'll make lunch. And like, leave some wine out for my gods and like that's it like I don't have you know like we're surviving a pandemic and so much is going on it's really hard to to put in effort um when you're so drained all the time and I was actually reading a, a witch blog I cannot remember the name of it because it was on my feed but I was reading one of their posts and it was um essentially like it's better to do something small that you have energy for than to like half-ass something so absolutely like you know and I know that my gods would be like don't don't show up and not be truly here <laughs> like we'd rather you just not so I I understand that feeling yeah and you know everything is changing so quickly our last episode that we recorded was on uh weather modification and rain magic because we were in the middle of a drought and you know it's barely a week later and we're in the middle of a massive storm <laughs> I was like, say, so that worked for us. Because <laughs> it has been raining nonstop since 2 a.m. last night. <laughs> I mean, and in fact, like, you know, we were talking that I have my new um, YouTube channel. And the last time, when like three days ago, I did a recording and I was sweating up in the room that's like, you know, it's my converted guest room. And I can see it in the video that like, like glasses are steaming up. If you, if you watch any of my YouTube videos, you can see like the bottom of my glasses turns white because I'm literally steaming in that room. Today, oh I'm like wrapped up in blankets up in the same room. It is literally three days later. So 
<laughs> oh my um, gosh. Um, yeah, the weather, I mean, it's fall in New England. This is what we signed up for. But mm-hmm. it is changing very rapidly day to day right now. And um, it, you know, it takes some day to day adjustments that you're like, oh man, I have to open up all the windows. Like, should I have tur- put the flannels on? Because now it seems a little too warm for the flannels. And like, you know, 36 hours later, you're less like, close all the windows. It's freezing. What, you know? <laughs> I know. Like, I haven't turned my heaters on. Um, I have an electric heater, but, and I've been using that on like, particularly cold mornings or something, but I haven't turned my baseboard, my actual like boiler on. No, I'm, I'm holding off. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because like it's, it was cold two days ago, but then in two days from now, it's going to be 70 degrees. And I'm like, I'm not going to need, like, that's dumb. <laughs> I don't need to turn it on yet. Um, and I've been sleeping with an electric blanket if it's actually cold at night, but otherwise I'm like, no, I'm holding off. I'm not turning it on yet. <laughs> Yeah. And that sort of brings us to, you know, sort of two things that have been our recurring themes. And, you know, the first is what does a witchcraft practice look like in times of pandemic, which, you know, we had an episode about that around Beltane and it was our most popular episode. And it comes back to that idea of, you know, you have to put into it what you can and understand that practice is always going to be within context. And right now we're all in the middle of very prolonged trauma. We've been all doing this for about six months. We're all burning out. Yeah. And so, you know, what does a genuine practice look like? And like you said, you know, it's better to do a lunch and show up for the thing that you can do than to try and half-ass and be like, you know, and just be sort of going through the motions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as much as I want to have a big elaborate Samhain ritual with a big bonfire, like realistically, I don't think I have the, the energy for that. Um, and the yeah, other- Probably not for me either. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the other thing is, and, you know, Lauren, you weren't here last episode, but we were talking about, you know, weather modification, but also, you know, what is behind all the weather and how erratic it is. And we talked about how, yes, there's a, you know, there's a scientific basis for everything, but when we look at that, we're only looking at middle world and we're not looking at the spiritual dimension and that weather is inevitably linked to emotion, right? And what are the emotions that we're all going through collectively, right? Um, Everything is changing very rapidly, sort of in our human realm, right? And the very human things that we're dealing with in our politics and our infighting and all that nonsense. But the world as a whole, like the weather of the world is just shifting just as quickly, right? They're moving together in that very sort of erratic energy. Yeah. Well, and talking about, you know, um, other realms and and the spirit realm, you know, uh, on the 31st, that veil thins and we're going to be, I feel like we, we will experience kind of a collective, um, for lack of a better term, like backhanding by our ancestors. Like, I really feel like, um, there's going to be some really potent energy that comes through because I feel like spirit guides and ancestors are watching what's happening. And, you know, when you, when you cross over, depending on, who you are and, and, um, what your, uh, your deal is, um, for the most part, I would say about 80% of the, the people that cross over, they cross over relatively peacefully and they move, they shift into a different realm. Um, and they gain a lot of wisdom and they gain a lot of knowledge. And that is then kind of their task 
after they rest and have their, you know, their time, um, it's then kind of their, I don't want to call it a job, but they can, they can choose to come back to us and say, Hey, like we know a bunch of stuff cause we're over here and we, we know what needs to be shifting. We know what needs to be focused on. And we have a lot of wisdom to share with you. If you'll listen to us, the spirit realm has a lot of wisdom for us, but I think collectively as a society, we're so removed from it that we don't like our ancestors are, are seen as away. And thousands of years ago, we viewed them as still here, but just, we can't see them anymore. And for me, that's how it is. They're still here. We just can't really, we, we can't see them anymore collectively. Um, and that's, I think that's important for people. And I think a lot of people are going to get some information that they need if they'll pay attention. But I wouldn't be surprised because there is so much going on in different realms and different planes of existence. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Halloween comes up and suddenly everybody is having changes of heart and everybody's feeling like tapped in. Like, at least that's my fingers crossed hope. (laughs) I will say astrologically, I expect big things to happen right around the winter solstice. There's the great conjunction is on the winter solstice. There's something else that's happening on the 23rd. There's just, there's so much happening. And, you know, and traditionally the time of ghosts, like, you know, it starts at, you know, Samhain, but then, you know, it does really go through Christmas. That's why at, you know, that's why the Christmas Carol is a ghost story. Yeah, (laughs) Is that the winter solstice is known to also be a time when the veil is very thin. And so I, just astrologically, there's so much shit happening around the 21st of December that um, I would not at all be surprised if what you're talking about happens at that point as well. So we all got to buckle up. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, one thing that Becca and I have sort of been repeating over and over in the last episodes, because it just seems to make sense is that idea of, you know, witchcraft practice as having a very important, you know, um, community responsibility aspect, right? And how to be a witch, you have to care about the future, you have to care about the land, you have to care about who's coming next. And, uh, you know, Samhain and, you know, even extending through Yule is a time of ancestors and ghosts, but I think it's also time for us to understand, like you said, you have that t-shirt future ghost. And it got me thinking like, yes, we are all future ghosts, right? So we are, we are all future ancestors. We all have to care about our descendants. So maybe this is a time where we can all benefit from really understanding our place, right? Within that lineage, even if we don't produce biological children, everything that we do here, you know, we're leaving something behind. And what is it that we want to leave for our descendants? And we are at such a critical time right now because we are at, you know, irreversible climate change and so much stuff is happening that we sort of need to make choices right now. So I would encourage folks, you know, as you're doing your Samhain work today, as you're connecting with your ancestors, you know, ask them, you know, what is it that they want you to do to help you leave a good legacy, right? Because it's it's easy to kind of focus on the small picture and say like, oh, well, it's happening in my personal life and what are my personal goals? But also realizing that we have the power to make bigger change and bigger impact. So if every witch is out there, uh, you know, doing spells for radical realignment together, we're all asking for our ancestors to guide us to do better. 
it can really have a powerful effect. So absolutely. So um, Lauren, like you said, you uh, or, you know, Anna introduced you as our, our resident dead people expert. And, you, know, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned that you have dinners at your house and you can feel the spirits around you. Do you have any, if I personally don't have that sort of connection with the spirit world, I know that Anna does a little bit more through her shamanic work, but if someone wants to connect with their ancestors on, on Samhain, on Halloween, what's a beginner step that they can take? Oh gosh. Um, honestly, just the desire opens up the door. I think when you put yourself in a mindset of, okay, I'm ready to listen, you then finally hear. And cause they're, they're around you all the time and they're talking at you all the time. It's just, you have to be in a mindset of, okay, I'm ready to, to receive this information. As far as like physical things, I really love doing, um, so for my ancestor altar, I have photos up of all of my beloved dead. And then um, I also find physical things that I know that they enjoyed in this life. So, and I, I have several witch friends that do the same thing. And <laughs> um, I'll actually use his example because it was so funny. His grandmother loved peach flavored snuff. <laughs> which is the, for those who don't know, it's the tobacco that you stick in your, in your lip. So he would keep a can of it on his ancestor altar. And that's kind of a, like, I, I would call it a tether of some sort. You don't necessarily have to entice your ancestors to come back, but it does kind of give them, it gives them a, a feeling of recognition. It's like, oh yeah, I thank you for, for remembering that. Um, for my beloved dead, my grandmother loved butterflies. So I, I always have, you know, butterfly imagery around for her. Daisies were her favorite flowers. So I try to pick up some daisies and like from the, you know, get a small bouquet of daisies and leave them. Um, things like that. Favorite, I, I think food is a really important element of it. So if people are wanting to connect with their ancestors in a more like a one day sort of Samhain way, um, I would say, making food that their, that their um, ancestors loved. If they're trying to connect with a specific person, you know, if say they liked peach cobbler, I don't know why I'm thinking of peaches all the time. <laughs> Maybe I just make peach. Um, <laughs> if they liked, um, you know, roast beef, or if they liked um, a specific type of coffee, you know, stuff like that. Like hazelnut coffee was also really big with my family. So I'll do like hazelnut coffee and I'll leave a mug of that. Um, things like that, I think help because you're part of the process. You aren't just like gathering a couple trinkets and tossing them out on your mantle and being like, all right, show up. Like you're actually, you have to actively participate in the creation of something and then sharing it with them. Um, I'm a big fan of meditating. So I'll light a candle and kind of do some candle meditation. It's a little easier for me to get into that headspace though. So it, it, for me, it's more about just turning the dial. <laughs> so like the, the radio is always on. I just maybe have to turn the dial up or turn it down in order to function or not <laughs> or hear them or not. Um, but I think, yeah, having a designated space that you can, and then spend time there. Don't just like have an altar and then like leave the room, like make it, make it a 
in a, a place, maybe I prefer my living room, but you know, whichever room you prefer. I will say, if you're gonna do an ancestor altar and you're really inviting spirit into your home, avoid the bedroom. <laughs> um, one, you ain't gonna get no sleep. <laughs> if you invite your entire family, uh, your entire beloved dead ancestry into your bedroom, you will not get any sleep. Um, it's just gonna feel crowded and noisy. So that's one reason. And then two, like you probably don't want your great aunt seeing you maybe uh, have intercourse or <laughs> get dressed or do all of these other things that people are still doing in bedroom situations. So um, I would just avoid the bedroom, but um, that's just my personal preference. <laughs> I brought this up in past episodes um, and I wanted to get your take on it. In my tradition, there's one rule for ancestor altars and that is do not include pictures of people who are still alive because it tethers them to the, the, you know, to the other world before mm-hmm. they're in it. Right. Like that's like, that's like the one rule. Like if a parent dies or a grandparent dies, don't take their wedding photo and put it on your ancestor altar. If the other half of the couple is still with us. Right. So I just wanted to I, I definitely think that's smart. Yes. That's very smart. Um, I, I think I intuitively do that because I, I, don't include photos of like my mom, my uncle, my aunts, you know, they're anyone who's still alive because they're, they're not beloved dead. They're still here. But I think that is a very good rule to, to separate the two. And also to, you know, depending on what you're doing and, and how intense your, you know, the energy is, you might accidentally send your grandmother to go visit your grandfather, (laughs) you know, like you could, accidentally cause a haunting so you don't want that to happen either yeah becca i'm glad that you sort of brought up you know sort of rules for ancestor altars because i was thinking and uh you know in my studies um one thing that i came across is the idea of separating ancestral helping spirits from ancestors and being clear on that separation because not every dead relative is resolved you know not every dead relative is helpful And so it doesn't necessarily make sense to worship them in the same way. And so I've learned to sort of have a division between, you know, like the ancestral helping spirits are, um, you know, can be my bloodline ancestors, but it can also be, you know, like tradition ancestors, witchcraft ancestors, what have you, that I have a connection with that are here to be actual spiritual guides for me versus my you know, departed ancestors, who is everyone who is in my bloodline, who has come before me, whether they're resolved or not. Um, Because, you know, you don't necessarily want to call on that ancestor who, uh, you know, maybe did not pass so peacefully and had a lot of baggage and still hasn't gotten over it on the other side. That's not exactly a person that you want to be inviting into your sacred work. You know, so when I'm doing that, I have two different, you know, I have a, a family altar that is for anyone who I am, you know, related to who has passed. And then anyone who has shown up and wants to actually, you know, be part of my sort of spiritual journey, then goes on the like main altar as part of my ancestral helping spirit worship. Do you do any division like that? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I definitely have a, a handful of ancestors that, like you said, are not necessarily resolved. And you can kind of get a feel for um I think the longer you do spirit interaction Mm -hmm. and and ancestor work, you can kind of get a feel for who 
still need some time before you start including them in things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a little bit more nuanced. But yeah, I definitely have a list of people that I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to call them in. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, um, I like leave their photo in the album instead of putting it up kind of thing. Um, but I don't, I guess maybe because my, my collection of beloved dead is so, um, close and, and important to me and they definitely have been very helpful. I think it's kind of a a blend of the two, but there's definitely a list of people that I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want them. (laughs) I don't want them in here, but they've never felt like they were supposed to be helpful for me. So it, it wasn't a like, oh, well, they're family and they died. So I guess I have to put them on the altar. It's been more of like, I guess a blending. My Venn diagram apparently turned into a circle at some point. <laughs> oh. Nice. Yeah, but it sounds sort of like the same thing, right? Like where you have ancestors who you're not calling on for that kind of help. So the ones that you are focusing on really are your your ancestral yeah. helping spirits. Yeah. I think that's good to remind folks, like don't feel like you have to call every single person who passed. Like if you have that like super creepy uncle who is still creepy yeah. after death, you know, you don't have to welcome him yeah. into your <laughs> yeah, secret exactly. space. Well, and people also have I mean parents can you know if if your parents have passed on and they were abusive I think a lot of people feel like they're supposed to include them because they're the direct like it's the closest relation right they're parents and they feel like they're supposed to include them but you know I've talked to plenty of people who were like I just had a really awful relationship with my mom and they're trying to work on like mother energy and they're trying to work on um having that connection. And I've had to tell people like, if you're, if your relationship with your mother was so traumatic, like in life, like, please don't feel like you need to continue re-traumatizing yourself, even in death. <laughs> like it's not worth it. And sometimes death can offer a closure element for people that can't be achieved in life. And sometimes that's, it's better to leave that, that book closed for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. That actually speaks to a conversation that I had, uh, with a spirit in, uh, July. Uh, I was actually speaking to someone in my family who is a medium and for about a year now has had, you know, a spirit that sometimes, you know, incorporates to, to share messages. And that was one of them is that idea of, uh, the work of healing the mother wound specifically, since you mentioned, you know, like parents and a abusive mothers and it's that like healing the mother wound doesn't necessarily mean healing the relationship with the abusive parent it's healing your own understanding of you know the womb and motherhood and your relationship to that archetype and that energy but you are not under obligation to uh you know mend fences with a specific individual if they continue to be toxic absolutely i know and that's still true after passing yeah absolutely well, and that's the thing is, I, as I said before, you know, 80% of the people when they pass on after they've, I, I call it their rest, um, once they've had their rest and they kind of are are willing to take up a new role as a spirit guide, I would say 80% of people who pass are like, yeah, no, I get it. Like I have, I have you know, new wisdom and new knowledge and I understand things a little bit more clearly and I'm ready to, I'm ready to um, be of use again, there's still quite a few spirits that pass on and they don't quite get it. 
<laughs> and there's no reason for people to invite them back in, especially if they're not, if they, if you don't feel that connection, one, you don't need to invite them in. But if, if it was a toxic relationship in life, you don't necessarily have to try to keep fixing it. Sometimes even if you do want to, it isn't beneficial because that spirit still hasn't learned. So maybe this is off topic, but it just reminds me of talking about like, you know, spirits who haven't learned and the maybe not quite so beloved dead. Um, and the, um, are there like traditions for, I guess it's like when, when someone trying to think how to put this. So it's a time of year when people remember the dead. If it's someone who has really hurt you, I, and I'm thinking of like, um, something that a therapist told me several years ago when I read that someone who I felt had harmed me when I was in high school, an adult, um, I read that he had died of, um, I think it was colon cancer. And my first thought was like, joy, like, that's, you know, cancer's always taken the wrong person, but I think they really chose the right this time. Yeah. And like, I was just like, I was like, awesome. You know, that sounds really painful and terrible and this guy deserved it. And, um, you know, and I felt guilty about that. And my therapist assured me that as long as I wasn't like personally murdering people, that dancing on the graves of the people who harm you is perfectly fine and normal. Um, and so I'm just <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm just wondering, like at this time of year of, you know, connecting with the dead, should we just, I mean, I guess it's always better to just not connect with people that have hurt you and just to let it go. But are there any, you know, are there any rituals to either like completely sever those bonds so that you can stop thinking about them or like rituals to what, what would What's the good way to deal with that sort of thing? Okay. I totally thought that you were going to ask if there was like a schadenfreude ritual where you call up the dead to be like, hey, hey, like. <laughs> also, I was like, whoa. I mean, you could just hire a medium and then be like, all right, I, I got to say some shit for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the first thing that popped in my mind was a, a cord cutting ceremony which I think are very powerful and very multifaceted and you can use them for pretty much anything, including the dead. Um, I think if it's somebody like family related, um, well, I guess like it, the first, yeah, cord cutting, but then also like if you have personal effects of theirs, putting it into some form of a I don't want to call it a consecrated vessel, but some sort of like vessel and then essentially getting rid of it. Because mm -hmm. you're, if you're holding things on, if you're holding on to things that belong to that person, it's kind of like when you, <laughs> this is a, a silly example, but like my friends um, thought that, so, sorry, this is a weird <laughs> tangent, but so I have a baking pan that's for mini bundt cakes that was left at my house by an old coworker who essentially assaulted me. And I, I mean, I made it out. Okay. Everything was fine, but she left this at my house and my friends thought it was mine. So when I moved, they packed it in with my things. And so I get up here and I have this person's mini bundt cake 
pan. And every time I open up my cabinet, I see this pan and I immediately think of them. Mm-hmm. And that's dumb. <laughs> like that's, that's not a, a thread that you should keep in your house, right? So I finally was like, all right, goodbye. And threw it away. It's that sort of thing with people who have passed. So if you ha- if it's a family member and you have something that belongs to them, I would say get rid of it. Now, you don't have to throw it away. You can like maybe give it to another family member that did have a positive relationship with them, if that's possible. Um, give it to Goodwill. Give it to, you know, any sort of donation center. Um, or if you really just want to be like, fuck you, throw it away. <laughs> like, like toss it in the garbage. Um, but I would do a, a, a cord cutting ceremony and you can use all different types of ingredients with that. Um, you know, you can even leave the cut pieces of the cord on their grave if you want. Be like, I'm leaving this with you. This is no longer my burden. But um, I don't know, Anna, is there anything that comes to mind for you? So I definitely agree with cord cutting. I actually, I had a cord cutting right before COVID with our friend uh, Grace at Four Directions Healing uh, in Magnolia. Um, But, you know, I... I don't know. My brain is so focused on like trying to make like massive generational change that I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, we're talking about uh, cord cutting with, uh, with, with ancestors who have passed, right? This is all methods of healing your lineage, right? Because when we experience trauma, when our ancestors experience trauma, if it's really big trauma, it changes us right on a genetic level, right? And so trauma gets passed down generation to generation. And so you know, it's definitely really valuable for us to try and heal as much of our sort of ancestral trauma as we can so that we don't keep passing it on. So I absolutely agree with, you know, cord cutting, getting rid of, you know, artifacts that are still linking you with to, you know, to people who are toxic and, you know, understanding that our, you know, our burden as members of whatever family we're in isn't necessarily to keep carrying on that family as is, we might be here to be the ones who heal whatever like the toxic lineage is. Right. I think the, the person I brought up was a, a teacher who um, was sexually, routinely sexually harassed me. So it wasn't a, it wasn't actually an ancestor, but I definitely have. Oh, yeah. 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 So, but I mean, there's, you know, my grandfather on my father's side, you know, everyone says that he, embodied every negative stereotype of the drunken uh, violent Irish man that you can imagine and he you know no one in my family other than you know my dad and his brothers met him because he died of a heart attack at the age of 47 because he was such a hard drinker so when my dad was 17 so I'm sure that like you know if I had the energy to (laughs) heal my ancestral lineage that would be the place to start is uh is with my my Irish grandfather because um, from what I hear, he was not a nice person. I mean, I'm just going to point out that the easiest way to heal some ancestral damage right now is to please vote on November 3rd and let's stop <laughs> putting like white supremacists in power. And like, you know, that's a pretty easy ancestral healing thing that we can do right and now. And honestly, like if I think the, the best and most um, cohesive way that you can heal generation after generation of ancestral trauma within your own family and essentially be the cycle breaker is to go to therapy 
Like just go to therapy. Everybody should go to therapy (laughs) because that's when you start to fix things within yourself, you can then develop a new foundation because I think we lean on traditions and depending on your family, those traditions aren't always that great. Like it's that, well, this is how it's always been done. Well, how it's always been done has not been super great for 400 years. So like, let's move on. Right. That's, that's like why the Hierophant is considered a a negative card. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And when you can look at that and then go, okay, well, this isn't how I want to continue doing these things. And you build, you remove yourself just enough and you build your own foundation. You build a new house away from the, like, if you imagine it as a ancestral home, an actual physical place and everybody's been living there. And then you kind of look around and you're like, yeah, the pipes are leaking. There's black mold everywhere. Um, We definitely have bed bugs. Like, why are we still living here? And you remove yourself and you build yourself a new home. That's the best and most sustainable way to heal yourself. And then to make sure that future generations have the, the stable foundation to then heal themselves and others and the world and their communities and like it ripples out right so a lot of people ask about like what do I do and like go to therapy (laughs) magic can only get you so far the other part has to be talking to somebody the other part has to be taking responsibility for your own self um, and your own well-being so I mean that for me has been a big part of the witchcraft journey in general um and you know, I know that every time that we use the word witchcraft, it means slightly different things for each of us. You know, for me, it's been a you know religious and initiatory path. And, you know, I, I've talked a lot about the social activism part of it. We've talked a lot about the ritual of it. We haven't talked so much on the podcast yet about the sort of personal growth part of it, right? And that sort of to really become a person who's centered, right? And who's able to use, uh, you know, the tools that we have in the best way, like you have to go through a certain amount of sort of healing and self-integration, right? And so a big part of my my lineage in my training has been in learning how to face those parts of ourselves, right? And to do that shadow work, right? The shadow work I think is critical, right? There is no light without shadow and the brighter the light, the darker the shadow. And we can't pretend that those things don't exist. And so I do think that shadow work has to exist. And, you know, therapy is wonderful and there are, some witchcraft practices that, you know, in a more group format that also tackle some of those things, right? And, um, you know, to me, that's sort of like the idealized coven idea is having that space with perfect love and perfect trust so that you are working on, you know, all your traumas in a sacred safe space where everyone can you know, sort of be held and, you know, not feel, not be doing that work in isolation, which is really, really hard. But then that gets us into the whole, like, you know, groups can be really problematic thing. So, <laughs> yes, that's the problem with groups is all the people in them. <laughs> but I do think you're right. I mean, there is a, a level of personal growth that I think is necessary in order to become, honestly, like, if, you know, if you want to be a powerful practitioner, you have to work on yourself. You can't, you can't be ruled by your shadow completely. Um, or let it run rampant. You know, we honor it. We look at it in the face. Um, we acknowledge its existence and we, we work with it. But if you 
it's that like Stephen King quote of like, it, you know, if you don't go in the basement or if you don't acknowledge the basement, then like things get really, that's where the monsters live essentially. It's right. that where if you're, if you're so focused on something else, then your shadow runs rampant. And then it becomes, you're not actually that powerful. You're not actually doing as much potent work as you could be because you're not working on yourself. Right. And we even see that in tarot, right? Because if we look at the magician and the devil cards, right, they are the two manifestors, right? And we learned that you can't get to the end of the cycle of the major arcana without going through the devil and discovering that shadow power. So, you know, it has to be part of the journey if you really want to, you know, sort of grow into the person that you can be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, so another question regarding, you know, ancestral messages and talking to spirits, getting back to that is, uh, you know, we talked to you about what can people do if they want to start establishing a connection, but I want to ask the sort of about the counter of that. There are people who have always had that connection and don't know how to manage that. And so it becomes something that's not, you know, it's not good for them. And so how do people go about setting healthy limits like if someone just has a lot of connection with spirit and spirit messages are coming through all the time you know what are some ways to kind of set some boundaries and help people create a space where like all right now I can receive messages and it's okay and like no I don't want you in my ear when I'm trying to buy groceries yeah I mean that's that was one of the the most the first and most important lessons I learned um because as a child, it was very overwhelming and it was also really confusing and there wasn't a lot of people to talk to about it. Um, so for me, I started, I called it like the witch's in sign. So it's like flipping a, a doctor sign, like the witch is in, the witch is not in. And I first started um, with grounding and shielding techniques. This was when I was around 13, 14. So I started learning how to really ground myself and really, I practiced blocking everything out, which I know can be really, really intense for people, but it's really important to understand what true silence in your own head feels like. Um, so I started doing meditation techniques and, and shielding techniques of like imagining a steel egg around me and only my energy was there and, and not necessarily severing the connection, but being able to turn it completely off. I don't actually like being completely disconnected. It feels uncomfortable for me, um, probably because it's a natural state of being for me, but I had to learn that. So I, I practice, and you know, you can practice any sort of meditative technique to turn, turn that switch off. Um, some people genuinely just envision a light switch flicking on and off. And when it's on, they're connected, when it's off, they're alone with their own energy. Then I started practicing with, okay, essentially like mini rituals. Uh, it started for me with like, if I was sitting down with a journal, if I was at home, if I was in my car, those were spaces that spirit could come through and it was okay. And I let them know. That's the other thing too, is that honestly, like, yes, spirit could and kind of does run a little wild if you let them. But I would say, again, for the most part, they're really respectful of boundaries. So, but you just have to be clear. So you have to say very firmly, when I am in my car, you can talk to me. When I'm at home, you can talk to me. When I'm here, you can talk to me. But you can't 
talk to me at the grocery, you know, other spaces are off limits or even like setting up times and saying in the daylight hours, you can talk to me once the sun goes down, no more. (laughs) And like being really firm with that. And then also not responding. It's a bit like having a toddler around, like, you know, they Mm -hmm. might try to push the boundaries or they might try to, or maybe they don't know, they haven't fully received that information. So then it's like midnight and they're like, Hey, come talk to me. And it's like, Nope. What did I say? I'm not going to talk to you. It's midnight. Stuff like that. So establishing firm boundaries energetically and mentally with the spirit that are around you. Um, and then also like for me, when I'm reading tarot cards, that's often a sign that they can come through. So a lot of times for my clients, I'll ask ahead of time, um, Hey, are you comfortable receiving messages from your ancestors because it's possible that they'll come through because that's one of my gifts. And sometimes my clients say yes. And sometimes they're like, no, thank you. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> then we move on. And I can hear the things and kind of maybe try to couch it a little, um, translate it in a way that it's not so abrupt and maybe unnerving for people. Cause you know, I still think it's part of my duty to get that wisdom across to people. But, you know, if they're uncomfortable with it, I'm not going to be like, by the way, your grandma says hi. <laughs> I don't want them to, to completely freak out. But yeah, I would say start with, start with shielding, start with setting firm boundaries, and then, you know, play with it a little. If you're home all day, see how it feels to maybe be on all day. How do you feel at the end of it? Do you feel drained? Do you feel excited? Do you feel tapped in? Are you neutral? Like, you know, getting to understand what you're comfortable with is the better part of, of figuring out how to establish a life with that kind of gift. Cause otherwise you're just going to go crazy. <laughs> One thing that I developed for my own practice is a sort of physical marker of like, yes, you can talk to me now. No, you can't right now. Um, and like, for me, it's been useful to find something that has like an actual door, like a little box or like a little cabinet or something that like when it's open, like, okay, come talk to me when it's closed, leave me alone. And that's also including like how much, help you want in general because the thing with ancestors is once they kind of leave middle world and the very physical plane like the further away they get from that the more they kind of forget the you know daily annoyances of being human and like having to deal with like I have to go to the grocery store and I have to clean my house and I have to do this and they're just pushing like spiritual growth let's go this path this this it's like okay you know what like yes but like I still need to be human Right. And they can forget that a little bit. So if you have something that really physically signals like, yes, now I want you acting in my life. Now I don't, it allows you to kind of regulate and have that kind of breathing space. Yeah. And if it's something that's physical, like it's very easy for, you know, our brains to like have their proper alpha trigger with like, now it's open and it's receptive. Now I'm physically closing it. That can be a little easier than trying to remember to visualize a thing. Yeah, totally. Another thing I've, developed over the years and I I think is really helpful for people is creating a language with your guides and your um your ancestors or or the spirits that you're communicating with I know several people who you know they use specific signs and symbols and numbers and things to kind of become like a, a bit of a buffering system so instead of them having to constantly be on and hear the the like radio CB radio chatter 
going on in their head, they can say, okay, if you are trying to get me to listen, or if, if there's something you need me to know, then show me this. Or if I'm doing the right thing, show me this. Or if I'm, if I should change my path, show me this, you know, setting up a, a really clear, simple sign language. It, I don't mean sign language as ASL, but, um, yeah, like symbolic communication. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, I think that can be helpful for people too. And that's a little less, um, cumbersome, I think, than, cause that way you can still be in the grocery store. And if you see like, you know, a dragonfly, then you can be like, cool, I saw a dragonfly. That means such and such. And you can still kind of move throughout your day without being like, oh God, I have to sit here and talk to Aunt Jenny for 20 minutes. You know, like, it's a little, it's a little bit easier. Yeah. So I just, I, you know, we've talked about ways to, to connect and to shut things down. And I do, because there's a lot of people who listen to this that are just starting off and there's a lot of questions about, you know, what's normal and what's not. And I think that it's important to understand that both being able to hear and see and interact with spirits is normal and not being able to hear and see and interact with spirits is also normal. And, you know, there's definitely a gradient in between them that, you know, maybe you can connect, but not all the time and your connection is intermittent and you have to really work for it. Maybe, you know, you almost never see anything but every now and then you get a glimpse or you only get those glimpses when you're doing specific things like you know scrying or doing tarot or something like that that there's a very wide gradient of normal experiences and you don't have to be um on one end or the other to be a witch or to you know that that's they're all normal and there are all ways to be a witch, no matter what, um, what your particular gifts in this area are. Absolutely. And I, when people say to me, oh, wow, I really wish I could speak with spirit more. My first question is why? And not like, why would you want this? But why do you want to be able to communicate with spirit? And usually it's, they want to feel tapped in. They want to feel that bond again they want there's there's another element to it it isn't just that they want to be able to talk to dead people <laughs> there's usually an underlying thing so if you can kind of figure that out for yourself you can uncover other systems that will help you achieve that feeling that you're going after instead of focusing solely on i need to be able to talk to dead people because that might not be what you're actually supposed to do but maybe you can tap into that through tarot, through scrying, or just through your daily practice, or, you know, however you do your, your witchcraft, it doesn't necessarily have to be with seeing and talking to dead people all the time. Right. Well, I do believe we've been talking for over an hour, so we should probably let our listeners go. Um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this Samhain episode with us. Uh, you know, whatever you do, we hope that you have a nice time connecting with your Beloved dead. Uh, Lauren, before we let you go, do you want to tell us about the projects that you're working on and where people can find you? Yeah, totally. Um, I have another podcast. Um, uh, Welcome to the Speakeasy with Lauren and Eric. Uh, you can find us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at blind underscore pig underscore pod because speakeasies used to be called blind pigs back in the day. <laughs> um, so it's a bit of an inside joke. Um, I uh, also am available for tarot readings. Um, you can find that specific page on Instagram at tarot with coffee. 
and you can also find my writer page at will write for coffee coffee is a big thing for me (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of part of my brand um but yeah people can find me on all of those places Awesome. And Becca, where's your YouTube channel again for our listeners? Uh, my YouTube channel is called This Magic House. Um, and I am also on, uh, it's the same Instagram that um, that I linked to from the Witch City Witches pages, also This Magic House. So kind of trying to keep it all in that, that same branding, as they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Well, folks, as usual, if you have questions for any of us, feel free to email us at askawitch at witchcitywitches.com. And you can find show notes and links at witchcitywitches.com. You should follow us on Instagram at witchcitywitches. And if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. And we'd appreciate it if you could review us so that other folks can find us. And thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you all so much for having me. This was great. Thanks, everybody. Happy Halloween.